I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me in your copy of the New Testament to Colossians chapter number one this morning. Colossians chapter number one. You may recall how that in Acts 6, seven men were selected to serve the church. We, we know those men as the first deacons. They were to serve the church so that the apostles could give themselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. And we fully appreciate the apostles' ministry of the word because we have so much of it in, in print. The New Testament is full of the apostle Peter and the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul's ministry of the word. But what of the Apostles' ministry of prayer? And in fact, we actually have much of the Apostles' ministry of prayer in print as well. One case is Colossians chapter number one. Colossians one, verse number three. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse number nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all knowledge of his will, etc., etc. You see, Paul was a powerful preacher, but Paul was also a powerful prayer. In fact, I submit that Paul probably did more praying than he did preaching because while he was traveling or while he was imprisoned, he was perpetually praying for believers in every place. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14 presents an example of that powerful prayer. And I submit that Paul's powerful prayer in Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14 presents an example for us. An example for us to follow. An example of powerful prayer. Let me pause briefly. Go to the Lord before we study these verses together. God in heaven, we, we're so grateful that we are complete in Jesus Christ. There's no work of ours that has merited us anything. There is no work of ours that has gained us your favor, but we are complete by your mercy and grace to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, this morning we're so grateful that we can come boldly to that throne of grace in prayer. And Lord, as we study this prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Colossian church, may we understand how we too might be people of prayer, praying to you for one another in these ways. We commit our study to you now asking that your spirit might be our teacher. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I have brought with me this morning a collection of children's prayers. I think you'll find some of these to be a bit amusing. Joshua, age six. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I really wanted was a puppy. <laughs> David, age seven. Dear God, I went to the wedding today and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? <laughs> Natalie, age seven. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. <laughs> Lois, age nine, dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing, but I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> Diane, age eight, dear God, I'm saying my prayers for me and my brother Billy because Billy is only six months old and he can't do anything but sleep and wet his diapers. <laughs> we smile at the innocence of a child's prayer. 
and we consider their prayers to be cute. It's cute when a young boy or a young girl prays in in silly ways, but, but what of our prayers? Of course, our vocabulary is much more sophisticated than the children. However, our prayers may not be any more meaningful. Or, as we read earlier in the service from Matthew chapter 6, we might only pray to impress one another. We might use vain repetition. Is it any wonder that our prayer life seems powerless, without without power, without uh, effectiveness, that our prayers bounce off the ceiling and back down at us again? Look at Colossians 1, verse number 9. For this reason, Paul writes, this reason because of your faith in Christ in the previous verses, for this reason we also, since the day we heard of your faith in Christ, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. I submit to you this morning that powerful prayer, number one, seeks precise petitions of God. Powerful prayer seeks precise petitions of God. And many times we pray in a simplistic manner, Lord, help all the missionaries. Okay, but what does that mean? Or we pray, Lord, help us to have a good day today. Okay, but what does that mean? The Apostle Paul was precise in his petition to the Lord for the Colossians. First letter A, his request make made the point or the request makes the point paul prayed that they might be filled verse number nine now the word filled in verse number nine does not mean consuming space as in filling a glass full of water or as in filling our our gas tank full of gas but rather it describes a consuming control as one who is filled with rage or full of fear In Acts chapter 4, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, Stephen was full of faith. The classic passage in Ephesians 5 verse 18 commands us to not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit that is controlled by the Spirit of God. Here in Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul's precise petition, his request is that the the Colossians, I'm sorry, be filled or controlled by the knowledge of his will. Now, the matter of knowledge here is a recurring theme for Paul. He said to the Corinthians, in everything, you are enriched in him in all knowledge. He prayed that God would give the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Paul is praying precisely... He's making a point in his request. God, may the Colossian believers be filled, that is controlled, by the knowledge of your will. For without the knowledge of God's will, we have no understanding and no direction in life. Let me to, allow me to illustrate this for you. There is, there is no worse feeling of helplessness as there is being without knowledge, not knowing what to do or where to go or how to answer. Imagine with me this morning that you are in a classroom with me 
As students, you and I are in a classroom. We're going to make this a Greek class at Central Seminary. And I remember many years ago now uh, being in Greek class and struggling to gain and retain the necessary information or knowledge that I needed on the subject matter, the Greek language, as the New Testament was written. And we were to have our Greek New Testaments open before us, our Greeks, we called them, our Greek New Testament Bibles, and we had them open before us on the table, and, and the professor would call on us to read. Now, back in the day, my professors were Dr. Uh, Bob Milliman and Dr. Ed Glennie. Some of you remember those names. Now we have Dr. Mark Bruffy. We have Dr. John Pratt teaching Greek. But we were to read the Greek New Testament and translate into English. And uh, I had two years of Greek in Bible college. I had three years of Greek at Central Seminary. You'd think I'd be able to do this quite well, right? But I remember that as I would be called on to read along and I would be reading in Greek, translating into English, a certain Greek professor would stop a student who's reading and ask for us to, to answer the case or the number or the, the gender or the syntactical usage of some Greek word or phrase as we're reading along a verb or a noun. And, and I would hesitate. And I would, I would say, as, as I'm looking at my Greek, I, I, um, well, um, and I would hesitate. And here's what the professor would say. Obviously, Matt's not prepared for class today, right? Can, can you all say awe? Oh, see, you feel my pain, right? And, and so I would hesitate. And, I, uh, um, and can someone help Matt this morning in class? And I lacked the knowledge to answer. Maybe your computer is on the the blink, or maybe your car won't start, or maybe you're lost on your way to an appointment, and you don't know what to do, and, and so your mouth stammers, and you struggle to answer. You're unable to act because you lack the knowledge to know what to do or how to do it, and at times in our Christian lives, we lack the knowledge of God's will for us, and we flounder. Proverbs 19 says it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. God says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Those who don't have knowledge are, are described as babies in their thinking in 1 Corinthians 14. And those who are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, according to Ephesians 4, are, are like children. That's why we must be filled or controlled by the knowledge of God's will. And you think back to the times where you have floundered or struggled in your Christian life, not knowing what to do. But I have good news for you this morning. The good news is that God's will for you is not a secret. He's revealed it to us in his word. And in so many places in the scripture, he has said, this is the will of God for you. God's word is the place where you can learn of God's will. You say, okay, Pastor Matt, but what about those gray areas? What about those subjective issues? What about the personal decisions in my life where there is no chapter or verse to be found? Where am I to go to school? Who am I to marry? What job should I take? What house should I buy? What medical decisions should I make in this moment? 
I'm glad you asked. Verse number nine again. Verse number nine. For this reason we also, since we heard of it, since we heard of your faith in Christ, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask. Here's the precise petition. That you may be filled or controlled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom and spiritual understanding is the ability to discern God's will for your life by collecting and organizing the principles of God's word. Now, the Bible is not like a legal library that is exhaustive with books and books and shelves and shelves and rooms and rooms of volumes for every case for every cause, but rather, while the Bible is not exhaustive, it it is comprehensive. It is sufficient for everything, and it is the dynamic of wisdom and spiritual understanding that gives us the ability to make application of our knowledge of God's will so that we can live according to God's will. And so Paul's prayer is powerful because it's precise, and the request makes the point. Lord, I pray for the believers at Fourth Baptist Church. I pray that they might be so controlled by a knowledge of your will as they are wise and discerning. We can pray this for one another. We can pray this for our children. We can pray this for our politicians. We can pray this for our parents. We can pray Colossians 1.9 in a powerful way with precision. The request is making the point. It's not, Lord, help us to have a good day today. Lord, help us to be controlled by a knowledge of your will in wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Letter B, the, re- the results explain the purpose. The results now explain the purpose. Verses 10 and 11. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's a purpose clause there. That or so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So verse 10 there, that you may, at the beginning there, verse 10, it's indicating this purpose and it answers the question why. Why am I praying this way in verse 9 for this purpose in verse 10? Verse 9 is then, um, or verse 10 is then subordinate to verse number 9 as verse 10 explains the intended result for the request of verse number 9. And it begins with a worthy walk, praying for them to be controlled by the knowledge of God's will that they might walk worthy. The reason we pray verse number 9 is so that verse 10 can be true that the believers might walk worthy. Now, our walk is our manner of life or lifestyle. The Bible teaches us that we are to walk in humility. We are to walk in purity. We are to walk in contentedness. To walk by faith in good works differently from the world. In love, in light, in wisdom, in truth. You, You get the picture. One of my favorite scripture references in all the Bible is Colossians 2, verse number 6. It's just a page away. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And the first result of us being controlled by or filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding is a worthy walk that pleases the Lord. 
And as you flesh out God's will for your life, do you find it to be worthy? Worthy of the gospel that God so loved you that he gave his only son to die for you. He redeemed you from your sin. He adopted you as his own. He's promised you a home in heaven. Is your life and lifestyle worthy of that salvation and that redemption? A worthy walk. Paul's prayer is precise in that he states his point, he explains his purpose. It's not only for a worthy walk, it's, it's secondly for a fruitful work. For a fruitful work, there in verse number 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Now, there are many different types of fruit that we read of in the scripture, of course, Leading someone to the Lord, a new convert, is fruit. Worship and praise is referred to as fruit. Giving money is fruit. Godly living is fruit, the fruit of righteousness. Holy attitudes listed in Galatians 5 are called the fruit of the Spirit. We're familiar with those. And a purpose for being filled with or controlled by the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding is that we will not only walk worthy, but we will, we will have fruitful lives, fruitful work. Further results explaining the purpose would be for godly growth. For godly growth. Now, verse number 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Here's the purpose statement, being fruitful in every good work and increasing. This is the growth. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, follow this. In verse number 9 is the knowledge of God's will. Paul is praying that the Colossians would be controlled by the knowledge of God's will. But here now in verse 10, it's the knowledge of God's person. The knowledge of God, his person, that causes growth. If I were in Greek class again, I might translate this, increasing by the knowledge of of God, the end of verse number 10, increasing by the knowledge of God. And I would argue that the language that's used here is an instrumental dative. You say, what does that mean? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. But, but I learned it in Greek class. And, and this is what the, the Greek language is telling us here, is that the knowledge of God is the means for our growth. It's the means for our growth. It's the instruments... An instrumental dative is the grammar in the Greek. It's the instrument of our growth. It produces godly growth. In Philippians 3, Paul said, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to know God. I want to know Jesus Christ. Because as I come to know him, I grow in my Christian life. That's how Paul is is praying. And then there's also for empowered endurance. I think I have a typo there in your notes. For empowered endurance. Verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. That's how Paul prayed. In in fact, Paul didn't only pray this way for the, the Colossians. He prayed this way for the Ephesians, that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And it is that divine power that enables a believer to obey and to grow. And and here's the thing. This power is not a booster rocket that gives believers an initial boost of power and then leaves them to fly on their own. 
This power is not the emotional rush of a spiritual high at a a concert or a revival meeting or such, but rather this is empowered endurance. The word power in verse 11 is a present participle signifying continuous action. It's the enabling and the empowering that continues. The enduring empowerments. And then the verse finishes, for all patience and long-suffering, that's endurance, with, with joy. And this is not the stoic, teeth-grinding, endurance, grin-and-bear-it activity. This is a steadfast endurance in God's glorious power. Why? Because we are filled, we are controlled by the knowledge of his will back in verse number 9. Do we pray with such precision? Do we pray with such power? Or do we simply pray for God to be with all the church people? Many times parents have have come to me and said, Pastor, how do I pray for my children? That they'll stay out of jail, that they'll stay off of drugs, that they'll get rich and prosper, that they'll finish school, that they'll find a good spouse. Yes, 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 and yes, all the above, right? How do I pray for... My children, pray in this way, that they might be controlled by the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray that they would be controlled by that so that they might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Isn't that what we want? I don't care if my kids are rich or poor. I don't care if they live in Minnesota or California. or I don't want them to live in California. I don't don't care if they... (laughs) It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter who they marry. I don't care what they do for work. We want them to walk pleasing to the Lord. We want them to to increase in the knowledge of God. We want them to be empowered by... This is how we pray, people. And this is powerful prayer. And just as we learned, I I believe, last week, verses 3 through 8 are a single sentence... Verses 9 through 14 are also a single sentence as Paul wrote it. And you might find in your English translations, there's a variety of punctuation in verses 9 through through 14. But Paul is not done yet. He's not done with his prayer until the end of verse number 14. So we need to keep reading. As Paul is describing his prayer for the Colossians, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Powerful prayer doesn't only seek precise petition, but it's also, number two, it's going to be, and I have number one there, forgive the the typo on the screen, it's going to offer proper praise. Powerful prayer offers proper praise to God and, and praise is an important component of our prayer. But you might object. You, you might say, but pastor, I don't see praise anywhere in verses 12 through 14. 
Well, not specifically, but I think that the giving thanks at the beginning of verse 12 is the praise. Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Hebrews 13.15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Thanksgiving and praise in the scripture are virtually inseparable. So the thanksgiving that's happening in verse 12 is a point of praise to God later in this letter. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, continually, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And this thanksgiving and this praise is one. And so just as we are precise in our petitions... We ought to offer proper praise. So just as we don't say, God, help all the missionaries wherever they are, that's that's weak, that's pathetic. So also is, God, thanks for all your blessings. That's weak, and that's pathetic praise. Okay, so how do we praise God? Let me give you some sub-points here from verse number 12. We praise God because of our inheritance. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance. The the text literally reads, for the portion of the lot, verse number 12. Partakers of the inheritance. And we each will receive our own individual allotment or portion of our eternal inheritance, just as the promised land was divided among the tribes of, of Israel. And folks, our inheritance is both earthly and heavenly, We will rule and reign with Jesus on this earth. We will also enjoy the riches and the glories of eternal life in heaven above. And all of this is possible. This inheritance, the hope of the Christian is possible because, verse number 12, God has qualified us to be partakers. This qualification happened because of the adoption that we've experienced by God through Jesus Christ. Read Galatians 3 and 4. God, I thank you. I praise you for the inheritance that is mine as a joint heir. Joint heir. Inheritance. The, the heir gets the inheritance with Jesus Christ. It's proper to praise God because of our inheritance. It's proper to praise God because of our deliverance. Our deliverance in verse 13. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Verse number 13. It's it's appropriate and proper to praise and thank God because of our deliverance from the domain of darkness. Literally the power, the jurisdiction, the authority of darkness. If you can think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was... When, when he rebuked the soldiers as to why they came to him with swords and clubs to arrest him. And Jesus said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. So the forces of the wicked one, Satan, are, are marshaled against Jesus. And we were born into this dark world As children of the devil, we are prisoners of that same power without Christ. But praise the Lord for his deliverance. Jesus shattered Satan's power by his death and resurrection. And we are free from that power because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. How do you pray with praise? How do you pray with thanksgiving? A proper way is to say, thank you, Jesus, for the deliverance that I have from the wicked one. 
Thank you for the salvation that I have in you. It's proper to praise him for them for, for that. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Let us see. Proper praise because of our transference is the word. The word here in my New King James is conveyed or transferred. It's a word that was used in the ancient world to speak of the displacement of conquered peoples to another land. And here this verb is describing our our removal from the domain of darkness, Satan's realm, to the glorious light of the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom physically refers to the future millennial kingdom when Jesus will rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. However, there is an aspect, it's hard to understand or explain, but there is some aspect in which we already enjoy that relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and King today. And all of this inheritance, all of this deliverance, all of this transference is made possible because of verse number 14, because of the redemption that we have through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Paul was a powerful preacher. Paul was a powerful prayer. And these components of prayer from this text, precise petitions and proper praise. Folks, it's okay if our children pray in innocent ways. It's okay to say, Lord, bless all the missionaries and thank you for everything we have. It's, but we can do more than that. We can do better than that. And we can go to the Lord passionately and powerfully praying as the Apostle Paul did. I would exhort you and encourage you toward that end. God in heaven, we come to you in boldness because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. We come to you asking for your help to aid in our time of need. Lord, maybe there are financial or physical needs. Maybe there are circumstances that are beyond us. But God, at the end of the day, we pray in these ways. We pray that we might be controlled, filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. God, we pray that because of that we might walk worthy. God, we pray that we would be fruitful, that you would grow us and empower us in our Christian lives. And Lord, we come to you with praise and thanksgiving because of our inheritance, our deliverance, our transference through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. We pray in these ways. Amen.